Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. On this episode of The Story, we are joined by Dr. Marianne Osainde, a gastroenterology fellow at the University of Texas Southwestern. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Dr. Osainde, let's start with learning more about you as a person. Tell us about yourself and your family. Well, I'm not shy about letting people know I'm from Houston, H-Town. I feel like all Houston people are like you, though. But I'm just... Yeah, we've got to rep the H-Town. It's the best. But <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Houston. My parents are immigrants from Nigeria, and I'm a first-generation Nigerian-American. I have an older brother, Patrick, and a younger sister, Miracle. And just more about myself, I did Catholic College at University of Houston and then transferred out to Tulane University in New Orleans. Had a great time out there. And then I took about a year off of school and then went to medical school at ET Medical Branch in Galveston. And then did residency at Duke. And then now I'm here at ET Southwestern in Dallas doing my GI fellowship. So tell us a little bit about when you first realized you were interested in a career in medicine. Do you have any other family members in medicine that helped to guide your interest? So I have a lot of family members in medicine. So my dad is a physician, family medicine. My mom is currently a nurse practitioner. Been a nurse practitioner for like 20 years, but previously was a nurse, obviously. And then my uncle is a geriatrician in the UK. So they kind of had a great example of what being a doctor would look like. But I wasn't always sure that I wanted to do medicine, even though they kind of were pushing me towards it. I have a BS in psychology, and I thought maybe psychology would be the route that I go to, but then just felt like, no, that wasn't for me. Thought about engineering for a little bit. Ultimately, I really liked the meld of the sciences and helping people and direct care with people. So ended up feeling like medicine was a good meld of all those things. That's so interesting that you had so many family members that were in the medical field. Did you feel like there was ever really any other option for you rather than going into medicine? You know, it's like a running joke in the Nigerian community that like your Nigerian parents are going to tell you you're going to be a doctor, a nurse, a pharmacist, an engineer or a lawyer. So honestly, the push to be a doctor or a nurse was very real in my family. But I'm my own person. And I was like, you know what? I had to make sure it was right for me. But there was definitely a push towards being in medicine in my family. That's also interesting, too, because with us, since Tanya was the first one to go down the road in medicine, I feel like everyone always asks, at least me, I don't know about you, Dr. Kim, but they always ask me, did you feel like you had any other choice? And same thing, like our parents were like, we want you to be successful and want you to do something that you're passionate about. So I definitely hear you on that, you know, having a lot of influences within the family piece Mm -hmm. that can guide you, but you making your own decision was good. So I know that you're just about finished with your GI fellowship. Congratulations. I know you're happy about it. (laughs) How do you feel about the upcoming transition? It's twofold. I am super excited to almost be done. Like it's been a long time coming. 
excited about being able to do my own thing, cultivate my own style, get paid. But I'm a little nervous. I think it's the unknown. I'll be on by myself. Decisions that I make are going to be solely mine. So it's a little bit nerve wracking, but again, exciting because I'll be creating my own path, doing my own thing, honing in the skills that I've been learning for the last almost six years. So yeah, it's exciting, but a little bit nerve wracking. What kind of things are you doing to try to help with those concerns that you have? Because they're real concerns. Being a person that just recently made the transition from training to being out in the real world, you're not the only one. I know that was some of the things that I was worried about. So can you think of any things that you're doing or planning to do to get you ready for it? You know, I have a really good friend who is a few years ahead of me. You know her, Charlesse. He's been giving me advice about just being in private practice, but trying to not be shy about asking all the questions that I have to my attendings now, even if they're like, dang, you should already know that. If I don't know something now, I'm just going to be like, look, it's one of the last times I can really ask if there's something that I've done wrong or like I do procedures. So as far as if there's something that I can't do specifically within like a colonoscopy or something, I really try to figure out why I can't do it and try to hone in on that and practice it. Because again, like when I'm going to be scoping, it's just going to be by myself. So I can't really get my partner who's probably not even going to be there and say, hey, can you show me how to do this thing? So asking as many questions as I can right now, even though I am a third year and try not to be embarrassed about it and just ask while I can. I would say also as someone who does procedures, who've gone through that first year, second year out of training into practice, you know, just as a little encouragement, everything that you encounter in that first or second year of practice, you won't have encountered previous to it. So like some things will be new to you because they just haven't happened. Yeah. And in those circumstances, even though your partners may not be there, it is in your best interest and in the best interest of the patient for you to call those partners. And so it is still a team sport, even when you're the only one in the room who's doing the actual procedure. They're always a phone call away. And in most groups, you know, they want you to succeed. And so they would be more than willing to stop what they're doing and come help you or give you some pointers via telephone as to exactly what you should do instead. And so don't feel like you have to ask every question before you leave fellowship, because there's just some things you can't predict that will happen in that endoscopy suite. And when it does, you first have the expertise and the experience, interestingly enough, of the nurses who are there who have seen thousands of these. And so sometimes they can make really good recommendations as to how to manage something that you haven't seen. And then if nothing works, you know, you can always call your partners, even if they're across town, the anesthesiologist will keep that patient asleep in order for you to (laughs) get done what you need to get done. And so it's one of those things that you just have to fill out your group and hopefully the group that you're joining is welcoming and really wants you to succeed. And if so, then they'll make sure that they're there for you when you need them to be. That's encouraging <laughs> to know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for procedures, again, I mean, it's it's different, I think, when you round on patients or have a clinic only type sitting because everyone is around you right there. And, you know, if anything, they're in another patient room talking to another patient. But it's different when your partner is 10 minutes away in their clinic while you're in a facility doing a procedure And sometimes it can really be nerve wracking when something happens and you weren't really expecting that thing to happen and you're not really sure what to do next. And so just know that your partners really are there for those circumstances and likely they will hover a bit more at the beginning of your 
practice than they will as years goes on. So just in case you need help. So those are good partners. So hopefully that's what you got. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) But moving on, you decided and you are near completion of your GI fellowship. So what made you pick this specialty and were you interested in other fields? I know internal medicine, there's so many things you can do with that one specialty. So why this one? Funny enough, I wanted to do psychiatry when I first started medical school. I had a uncle who suffered from schizophrenia. You know, just talking to my mom and my family members, I was like, oh, I really want to try to make an impact through psychiatry. Did my psychiatry rotation in med school and was like, it's just not who I am. And then I ended up with internal medicine just because, like you said, there's like a breadth of things to do. You have to know such a wide amount of knowledge. And I really like that. So I went to internal medicine and actually had an interest in the liver, hepatology specifically, since the end of med school. One of my attendings in med school, and he was a really good hepatologist, and I thought the liver was really interesting. So went through residency thinking most likely I was going to do liver to get to hepatology, you have to do GI, gastroenterology. Surprisingly, you don't get too much exposure in GI in residency, really just the liver part of GI and hepatology. That's the main part. So went into GI thinking I was going to be a hepatologist. My first year of GI fellowship, I really liked procedures. Like I was really surprised how much I really liked doing colonoscopies and doing like simple procedures. So I decided that I wanted to just do general GI. Yeah, that's kind of how I landed here. Any thoughts on advanced endoscopy? No. (laughs) So the benefit of advanced endoscopy is that you just get to do procedures all day, like rare clinic, which seems nice, actually. But advanced endoscopy can be standard for a very long time. And the procedure is a lot longer and much riskier. Then it was another year of training. I'm ready to be done at this point. So advanced was pretty much out of the question for me. So one question that I had is, have you had any mentors that you feel helped to shape your career path at all? Certainly. One, my parents, my dad and my mom in the medical field just gave me a great example of like what you can be, you know, Black and in medicine. Um, Great examples of that. But then in medical school, I had an amazing mentor, Lori Thomas. She used to be the dean of the medical school, but she really took me and a lot of other of the minority students there under her wing and really taught us about networking, about really studying, trying to get your step scores up and applying broadly as well. So she was super helpful in that. And then I've already mentioned Charlesse. She's been a breadth of knowledge as far as the GI world and private practice and negotiation. So, yeah, I've had multiple mentors kind of help me come who I am today and help me to get to this place. Yeah, that's amazing. I think mentorship is key. It really can make or break your career. And so having good ones along the way makes a huge difference in how easy it is, I would say, or how straightforward it is to get from one step to another. Next, let's just kind of transition into some of your challenges that you've had along the way. And these can go back as early as high school or earlier. Have you had any challenges that you can identify that have occurred between the beginning of your educational career and now? And if so, what were they, if you're willing to share them, or what did you learn from them? 
the biggest challenges for me, at least, was during residency. Residency in the first years of fellowship, those are the hardest times in my life. Trying to really become a physician under very rigorous conditions, you know, long hours, little sleep, being away from home because I was in North Carolina coming from Texas and just trying to feel like I'm a physician, having the imposter syndrome. I remember that was the biggest challenge I think I've had to face within my career. The biggest thing I learned from that is that I can't do it alone. Jasmine can attest to this, like having your co-residents to talk to about things, know that you're not going through stuff alone. Having friends outside of medicine is great too. And having people back home rooting for you, even though they don't know the ins and outs of everything that you're going through. So even in tough times in medicine, where you're not getting a lot of sleep, where you're dealing with people dying, having a support system is super important. Something that I learned very quickly is that it's absolutely necessary. I agree. In training, that's definitely a life-changing experience. Just going from learning things in a textbook and what the science is behind why things go wrong to really seeing a patient in front of you who is very sick and looking at you as the person that's there to help them. I remember the weight of that coming out of medical school and being an intern, just being a very difficult transition to really owning that I'm a doctor kind of kind of feeling. So the imposter syndrome is also not an uncommon thing. And I agree that with being in training, having you guys as a support system that was there with me and going through the same things was crucial because you also need not only folks outside of medicine that you can just decompress with and just talk about normal life things and do normal life things with, but it's also really key to have people that are going through it with you that you feel like you can confide in. Because sometimes it's things that happen or things that we see or experience while you're in training that other people can't relate to if they're not in that situation. I think just emphasizing the importance of having a support system, not only present with you, but cheering you on from the sidelines is super important throughout all of this. So I know we kind of talked about challenges and things that you noticed that were helpful, like the support system that you have in multiple forms. But thinking back for students, like medical students even, or even those that have yet to decide that they want to pursue a career in medicine, what piece of advice or things would you say to them as they're considering entering medicine or just about to make that transition into being the person that patients look to in their care? First thing is like, if they're about to start, just trust in what your knowledge of what you've learned in either medical school or even residency, just trust in what you've learned and don't be afraid to ask questions and don't feel like you have stupid questions. Those are you know big things I wish people would have told me when I first started training. Other things that I would like to say is just make sure you go into it for the right reasons because it is a grind. Like there's so many other easier ways to one, get money to get notoriety. So, you know, make sure you're really doing it for the right reasons, because because it is a grind. You know, you have to really remember why you're getting into it. 
It is worth it. Definitely. I just want to put that out there. It's so worth it to be a physician, be somebody that can help people and impart knowledge into people and change patients' trajectory in their life. But it is hard. It's never too early to start finding mentorship, start volunteering in hospitals or in healthcare clinics, and just being around medicine, even if it's in high school or college. It's never too early to start your exposure to patient care. That's some great advice you're giving to students who would be interested in a career in medicine. So as we continue to talk about kind of what your next steps are, talk to us a little bit about what you think your career path will include. I heard that you were joining a private practice next year, but do you have any other goals or accomplishments that you would like to achieve in mind? Yeah, certainly. So... I guess once I get into private practice and get my feet wet and try to culminate who I am as a doctor and my style as an attending doctor, one thing that I really want to start emphasizing and getting into is colorectal cancer awareness. My uncle passed away about two years ago from colorectal cancer. Generally, it's very highly preventable. He was in his 60s, had never had a colonoscopy. So I really want to eventually start getting, especially minorities, aware of the different colon cancer screening modalities. So that's something that once I get my feet wet with private practice, I think that's going to be my next pivot, getting into just more colon cancer awareness. No, I think that's great, especially given a lot of the press that's been out there, at least over the last year or so. I feel like there have been lots of like Black celebrities that have also been affected by colon cancer and even at younger ages. The first one that comes to mind is Chadwick Boseman. His story really put another spotlight on that issue. I do think that that's really important to focus on, especially given the increased frequency. I feel that we're seeing colon cancer at younger ages, too, especially in minority communities. I appreciate you for that, for taking that on as a task, because screening and preventative measures in general is our big task to take on. But just pivoting one more time into you as a person and your next steps, what other things are you involved in in your downtime these days? And then just out of curiosity, how do you plan on celebrating the completion of your fellowship since you're so close to finishing? Yeah, so in my downtime, when I'm not working, I'm actually a pretty chill person. I don't do too many lavish things. I'm usually just hanging out with my friends, family, trying to find new restaurants out here in Dallas to enjoy. Of course, trying to be safe from COVID, but still trying to enjoy life a little bit. I want to travel more, though. So I'm trying to get into traveling a little bit more outside of the tropical areas. I'm trying to devote some more time to learning Spanish. That's something I really would like to learn more fluently, especially before I start private practice. Yeah, those are the kind of things I do on my downtime. As far as celebrating, uh, I don't even know yet. I envision that I will probably try to do a Euro trip. I have about a month and a half off. So I'm thinking about doing a few weeks in Europe and just traveling that area. And then just relaxing and moving and trying to get myself ready for the next step in my career. That's so great. 
It's really very important that we celebrate when we accomplish these milestones, like finishing fellowship is a big deal. So congratulations in advance for that. And I hope that you get to go to Europe and really enjoy yourself. So thanks so much, Dr. Osande, for joining us today. It was great to hear your story, and we can't wait to see what impact you will make in your career. Do you have any other parting words or shout outs that you want to make? Thank you so much for having me. And this is such a great platform that you guys are doing with this podcast, sharing people's stories and bringing awareness to different diseases. So I'm really honored to have been on this podcast. So thank you. Awesome. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into this podcast. Be sure to like, share, and repost our content. Also, subscribe to our podcast so you know when our newest episodes drop. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Check back weekly for our new content posted every Wednesday. Until next time. The music on the Doctors Washington podcast is by artist Mike Burton. He's a Jackson, Mississippi native on his album, Soulful, and the track is entitled All Right. It is available on iTunes. I know.